and it's my goal to get Oklahoma back to a regular uh, life as soon as possible. If we all pull together in this time, uh, we, we can prevent the prolonged uh, pain to our state, both from the virus and from the economic stranglehold uh, that happens, that's happening through this. Hi, I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast from The Frontier, taking a closer look at the impact the coronavirus is having in our state. Each day I'm joined by The Frontier's Cassie McClung as we talk about today's numbers, its impact, and the questions we're asking in the days to come. This episode was recorded on Friday evening, March 27th. Cassie, happy Friday. The weekend is here. TGIF. <laughs> does it, doesn't it feel like the weekend? It does. Uh, no, um, you know, like we were kind of talking about earlier, it's it's definitely go time for us, I think, almost every day. Yeah. My uh, my wife was saying, you know, she was talking about taking the day off tomorrow, and but she's like, I don't, what am I going to do? I've kind of been filling my time with work. Um, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of people in that boat tomorrow if they don't have work to occupy them. What are they going to do? I guess continue to, you know, binge watch Tiger King all over again, I suppose. But uh, I'm hoping to have some semblance of a Saturday tomorrow, but uh, still have some stories to finish. Maybe go outside? Yeah, I, we go outside almost every day, a couple times a day, walk around the park, always diverge when we come across somebody. You know, the the playground equipment here in Oklahoma City, or at least at our park, now has police tape. I don't know if it's actually police tape, but it's that yellow caution tape around it. So they're really discouraging children from playing on the playground. Uh, but they are still, you know, encouraging people to go to the park and, and get some sunshine. So that's that's good. Right. It helps. It helps. I know there's yeah. only so many times you can walk around your neighborhood, you know, and, <laughs> and be entertained, but yeah. options are limited right now. Definitely. Well, uh, another day, another set of numbers came out before we get much further. Uh, Cassie, up to Give us an update on, on where things stand in terms of positive tests, hospitalizations, death, all the things the Department of Health reported today. Sure, Ben. Yeah. So, um, again, as the state is really ramping up testing, we can expect these numbers to keep going up for a while. So, today, the Health Department announced, and today as in Friday, 322 confirmed cases, so another jump, eight deaths, so one additional and then 108, 105 hospitalizations. But, you know, just like we know the number of confirmed cases doesn't show the whole picture of the virus in Oklahoma, we now know that the hospitalization data doesn't either. Um, hospitals are required to report those numbers to the health department, and 92% of hospitals reported these numbers yesterday. Okay. And, you know, along with those 105, 105 people who were hospitalized, 50 of those people were in the ICU, mm. but we kind of talked about this yesterday. There's an additional 377 patients who are in hospitals and under investigation for COVID-19. So they're awaiting testing results. No, and that was, uh, Governor Stitt had a press conference today that we'll get into a little bit later, but that was kind of talked about, or at least a question was asked, and, and some of those that joined the governor had mentioned that, you know, there are some cases where uh, someone is in the hospital receiving care, 
and it's likely they have COVID-19, but they may not be get tested or there hasn't been an urgency to get them tested because the care is is going to be the same no matter what. Have you have you heard about that being a, a case in, in Oklahoma hospitals? Yeah. So, you know, the state really has been prioritizing people who are in hospitals, but they still haven't been at the capacity that, you know, the state needs to be or wants to be. But the reason they're, I mean, the treatment's not really different, but how healthcare workers interact with those patients is a lot different. So, you know, if someone's really sick in the hospital and say healthcare workers don't know whether they have COVID-19 because they haven't been tested for it, they're going to be wearing uh, protective gear every time they're around that patient. So, you know, they might be wasting it. They might not. But if they're not tested, they kind of have to err on the side of caution. So, Cassie, another thing we learned today that Governor Stitt sent out a, a press release earlier on Friday saying that abortion was now going to be considered a non-essential medical procedure. You know, he set that order on Tuesday, I believe it was, where that he was suspending all non-essential medical procedures and non-essential businesses. Now, what's interesting, at his press conference on Tuesday to announce that, he was actually asked, uh, Carmen Foreman of the Oklahoman asked him directly if abortions were going to be included, and he said, I don't know, we're going to have to get back to you on that. Well, today, he got back, I guess, and announced that they are considered non-essential. So do what does that mean? So abortion is not taking place in Oklahoma right now? Yeah, so unless a doctor decides that a woman's life is in danger or it's an emergency, um, abortions aren't going to happen until that suspension is lifted. And it's set to expire on April 7th, but... You know, a lot of things, just like the closure of a non-essential businesses, that's been kind of up in the air when that's going to lift, too. And I think the reason why, you know, that reporters were asking whether abortions were going to be included in that order. So other states like Texas and Ohio, um, they have also put suspensions on elective or non-essential procedures, and they are also um, considering abortions to be non-essential. Have we, have, were there any legal challenges in those states that we've seen? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So in Texas, earlier this week, groups filed suit against the state because they're, you know, they're arguing that, that basically that this pandemic is being politicized to shutter abortions in Texas. Um, so they're saying, you know, it is essential. It's a right. And some of these procedures, you know, they should be considered timely. And yeah. I can tell you too, you know, I, you know, with that story I wrote today, I talked to a representative from Oklahoma Call for Reproductive Rights, and they're kind of a women's rights group. And they told me that many of those women in Texas had actually made appointments in Oklahoma clinics. Really well. Because, yeah, because they could no longer get abortions in Texas. So she said those people now, I guess, along with Oklahoma women, are kind of scrambling because they don't know what to do next, but she thinks, you know, people are kind of probably going to move on to Kansas next. Yeah, wow. You know, let's segue a little bit into talking about today's press conference, and I want to talk about kind of the the logistics of it, and this has something to do with the topic we're talking about, about the abortion procedures, and that is when when the governor, who's now doing his, his uh, press conferences over Zoom, so these virtual press conferences, and, and reporters can kind of RSVP, let his comms team know that, 
they're going to be in the queue. They want to be in the queue to ask questions. And then after he gives his opening remarks and they start taking questions and they unmute you and you can ask a question. And everyone's kind of doing that. The state, state board of education, every, a lot of other government bodies are doing that. And for the most part, I think that the, that his comp team has, it's functioning pretty well, but the limit there is just, you don't really get a chance to ask a lot of, I mean, you don't get a chance to really ask multiple questions. You can't really ask follow-up questions. And this was actually a question that I had. I wanted to ask him about this announcement today. But I you know, I kind of typed up some questions I wanted to ask, and it was like number three for me because there are a couple other things that I wanted to ask. And, and so you kind of have to weigh, you know, which question are you going to ask. And um, and it didn't end up getting asked by anybody else. And, you know, they kind of cut off once everyone really got their, their questions in. Um, but, yeah, I, I just really was kind of curious how he kind of came to this decision of, one to, I, my question specifically was going to be, you know, whose counsel did you did you rely on to come to this decision? Where was it just healthcare professionals, or I mean, did you talk to any religious leaders or any any members of anti-abortion groups? Because it's you know, I mean, the governor has been pretty outspoken. He is a, an anti-abortion governor, and so you would you would definitely see that he wouldn't have a problem in, in taking this order. But of course, a lot of people are going to see this as a as a political as a political issue. Right, right, yeah. I, I, I do remember. So, do you think they're kind of you're typing in your questions, right? Well, you you say them out. You you can you say them out loud. The they'll tell you like hey, this next question's from so and so, and then you get a chance to ask it. So I'm kind of writing my questions out. Well, because I don't know where I'm going to be in the queue. If I'm the first person, I can ask any of my questions. But if I if I just have one question and the person before me asks that question, you know, I want to be ready with another one. And in a in a traditional press conference where you're in person, it's kind of a organized chaos. Everyone's trying to get their question in, but you know, it usually doesn't end and press conferences usually some insider baseball for those who may not know, they usually end one of two ways, either one, the official is just getting berated with questions and a good comp guy will just step in guy or girl will say, all right, you know, that's it. We're no more questions or or one more question or whatever it might be. But then sometimes it it ends when reporters just have no more questions left where there's kind of a moment of silence and they're like, okay, nobody has a question. And, you know, I always try to ask a bunch of questions just because I think you, you know, especially once the governor, you know, you have a chance to ask him a question directly. You don't get that opportunity every day. So um, this was a question I had. It didn't get answered, but, you know, I'm not going to say they were dodging it. That's not what I'm saying. But just the way that the press conferences are handled now virtually, it just kind of makes it difficult to come in with a bunch of questions and expect to get them all answered. And and I guess I not I have not asked the governor's office. I mean, you wrote about this today. So and he sent out a press release. Um, which says that they saw this as an important thing. I mean, they actually put it in a press release and sent it out. So obviously they saw it as a, as kind of a bigger deal than some of the other orders or other changes they've made to the orders this week. Right. And, you know, the reasoning behind that, and I can't remember if I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, is because the state is, you know, expecting a definite influx of COVID-19 patients. So their reasoning, they said in the press release, was, you know, that they need to conserve personal protective equipment and hospital beds. But I will point out, um, I mean, you know, I'm not arguing for, you know, whether it was the right move or not, but, you know, that representative I talked to today from that um, reproductive rights group, she did tell me that, you know, most abortions are performed in an outpatient setting. Yeah. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, it sounds like if we've seen this legal challenge in other states that we maybe we're likely to see that that here again. When I saw that headline on the press release, my first thought was like, well, this will probably become a, a lawsuit or a legal challenge in some way. And I guess uh, we'll see if it gets there. 
Right. And the rep representative did tell me that all options were on the table right now as far as legal action goes. She she didn't say, you know, she said no decisions have been made, but that is something that's being considered. Yeah. Well, also sticking with what we learned from the press conference today, one thing that was kind of interesting to me, something I noticed, and we talked about this afterwards, I don't think you noticed until I told you why I noticed it, and that was the governor said that he wanted to kind of bring in more of his research team to help perfect the model that they're using to essentially estimate how they need to respond to this growing pandemic locally. And on the surface, it sounds just fine. I mean, that's what you would expect. You'd want more, you know, more members of your team constantly going over models and the modeling and, and looking at the data to, you know, to, to see how it needs to fluctuate from day to day. The day before, though, I had read there's a, there's a conservative think tank in Oklahoma that writes articles, and they had wrote an article kind of casting some doubt on uh, one model that the state had supposedly used. And I think they had used it in a press conference earlier this week where he showed a board and he showed kind of the two curves, one if we do nothing, one if we take these actions. And, and honestly, you couldn't even see it on there. It was a whiteboard and it kind of was, was whitewashed out. So I, I can't confirm that that's the case. But they had said that there was this, this group that was modeling data for Oklahoma. I mean, they weren't doing it for Oklahoma, but they did it you know, with Oklahoma information and that the governor's team had used this in part. And I thought what was really interesting about this article was it, it said, you know, these people who modeled it admitted that this isn't a crystal ball and that things are subject to change and we're not trying to predict the future. But that's like, that's common science, right? I mean, that's not, I mean, modeling is not prediction. It's not, you're not, you're not telling the future here. You're taking in the limited data that you have and you're being honest with that limited data that you have, the, the method, that's what your methodology is. So I haven't really seen much of that. I mean, of course, we've seen some conservative groups kind of cast doubt on this, and the president even kind of referred to it as a hoax weeks ago. But, you know, the conservative think tank wrote this article, and then the next day the governor kind of says, hey, we, we want to work on trying to perfect our model. I don't know that that was in a that may not have had anything to do with it, you know, and maybe I should give him the benefit of the doubt that it didn't. But, you know, you shared with me, um, and I tweeted it out so listeners can find it, uh, a really interesting Washington Post article about this kind of time we're in where it's it's science and politics are colliding. And, you know, those that are doing the models are now kind of taking into account the politics of the situation, which is we need to now add in that some states may not take this as seriously because of political reasons. Right. And, you know, obviously that's a problem because like you said, those models have been coming under fire and, you know, a lot, you know, largely it's been coming from kind of more left or right, mostly right leaning websites. And there's been this false narrative or this incorrect narrative. It's just, you know, like you said, it could just be a misunderstanding of the science and the data and how that works that the researcher behind those models kind of redacted those predictions. But like you said, you know, it's supposed to be a forecast and not, you know, a complete, you know, crystal ball. It's just intended to help governments make decisions, kind of look at the trend lines. And, you know, as we know, this pandemic is so fluid. Yeah. So what happened with those numbers? And, you know, it's, it's in the Washington Post article you tweeted out, but... So the researcher initially put out predictions that kind of had the numbers higher at what they actually ended up being. 
But the reason that happened is because cities saw those numbers and they took action. So the numbers were adjusted to reflect that. So if leaders pulled back those restrictions because they saw, you know, those new numbers, you know, they actually might see the original ones come into fruition. Yeah. If that makes sense. I know. I feel like that was kind of word soup. No, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that in a few weeks we have lots of people in Oklahoma saying, you know, we did all this for nothing because it didn't end up being that bad. I mean, of course, you know, the hope is that, well, that's because our actions worked and, um, you know, let's hope that that is the case. But, uh, but yeah, so these models are fluctuating depending on, you know, what steps are taken. And, and that's kind of the whole point of the, you know, the saying flatten the curve that there's, that we have a chance to impact this. And it's not like, you know, it's interesting about those curves as you see the extremes of it, you don't, but it's not like we have just two options that we have the high curve or the low curve. I mean, there are states that range in their response in the middle, and we're going to see how effective they are or, or they aren't. Right, right. So I think, you know, going back to today's presser where the governor was talking about, you know, he had these, he has these experts from OSU and OU in the state, you know, he said they were holed up and trying to perfect this model because he wanted those final numbers by Monday. Um, so I think the new question a lot of people should be asking because, you know, so much of what the governor and his task force does next is going to be based on what these experts predict. So I think, you know, we should all be asking how they're coming up with these numbers and, you know, kind of what their process is. Yeah. And Cassie, we're journalists, so we definitely advocate for not taking things at face value and just trusting people when they tell you something. So, yeah, it's it's. It's not wrong to scrutinize, I don't think, but it just some of these arguments have are obviously very political and kind of casting doubt on the science of the of the thing. Something else that I'm looking at going into next week, and I'm hoping to have a story published Saturday, is just a closer look at schools. We've talked about it this week. You know, school buildings are now closed across the state, and districts are pivoting towards a distance learning program. And Cassie, I think I've talked to well over thirty different superintendents and principals over the last 48 hours just trying to get a, a kind of an image of what uh, the plans are in different school districts. And, and some have, uh, one superintendent told me this is going to be pretty easy because our kids already have iPads that we issue to them and they already do personalized learning. So we're just going to pivot that to full time at home. And it was a small rural school district with about 350 kids. And I asked about, well, what about kids that don't have tech that are internet connectivity? And he said, well, we actually did a survey. We found we had 10 families that don't. So we ordered some mobile hotspots and we're gonna give those to them to use. So they've kind of got you know a pretty good system in place, but then there's other schools where it, it sounds like about the best they can do is maybe print off you know, a packet of worksheets, um, hopefully, you know, maybe some teachers can connect over the phone with them. It, it's just I, the disparity in education is going to really, it's really going to grow is my sense um, over the next several weeks when we take a look at this uh, pivot to distance learning, which, you know, is, is a, a necessary step from the Department of Ed stance. This is what we need to do to protect public health. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be painful in the process. Sure. And, you know, you said that, I think you said earlier this week, that districts, you know, they're getting a lot of flexibility with this, how they decide to do it. Is the, I mean, I guess how involved is the State Department of Education deciding what's adequate and what's not? Well, not, not very involved, although they do have to approve the plan. So districts are going to be turning in 
their plans and there's kind of a, a template online now that the Department of Ed released on Friday afternoon that kind of shows here's what you need to tell us you're doing like you need to tell us what you're doing about this and what you're doing about this and like special education and how you're going to handle attendance even though a lot of those requirements are gone I mean we're not doing end of the year testing assessments aren't going to happen this year in terms of the school report card um, but I th the best I can tell the state really wants to see that districts are are, are giving this a serious effort but also understanding that it's gonna look different in different districts because of the resources they have. And I, I think a word that I keep hearing from Department of Ed officials is that, you know, we want, we know we're gonna to have to be very gracious um, with our districts and they're gonna to have to be that way with their students. Um, and, you know, I talked to a principal of an alternative high school and she said, you know, this is kind of bad timing because this is the time of year we're really trying to help our seniors, especially, you know, get those credits, credit recovery process, and it can be really difficult. And now we're not going to be able to see these kids in person, but she said, but we're not going to let them fail. Like I, that's my message to my kids this week is we have, we've got your back. We're going to, you know, a pandemic is not going to stop you. Um, from uh, from graduating high school to which my first thought was, well, that sounds like a pretty good reason, but you know, she was like, but as, but when you consider what all these kids have gone through already, especially to find themselves in an alternative high school, she's like, we can handle a global pandemic. Um, and she, that's been her, her message to, to her students. So it's, I, I'm obviously very curious to watch this, to look at it. And I'm also interested to see what schools do that maybe is creative. I mean, there's been, we, we've kind of made fun of the effort to innovate, but you know, that's, that's still an important time or it's, it's this is still an important time for that. And there's, there's going to be some schools that maybe do some new things that say, hey, this is kind of working for us. Um, you know, maybe this is something that we can uh, we can try in the future. Right. And, you know, something I've been, you know, as you've been talking about this story, I've been wondering, like, are school districts, I guess, worried about losing some of these kids? I mean, how, how are they going to keep them engaged in the learning process? I mean, what's stopping them from kind of just, you know, fading off and just you know, stop, I guess, engaging in the school system? That's a great question and a question I have. And that is a hard question to get an answer on because on one hand, educators understandably right now are trying to go into it very positive. Like we're going to make this happen. We're going to make this work. And no one wants to admit that they're going to lose a kid, right? But you still have educators to tell you, we know it's going to happen. Like we know you know, I had one superintendent tell me, like, we know some of these kids are going to be, are going to fall off the map. And it's kind of heartbreaking. And, you know, you hate to just accept it as a reality, but we know it's going to be because we don't have a building now that they can come to. And, and, uh, and, and because these home situations for some of these kids, especially in, in low income school systems, have, has now been rocked. I mean, if parents have lost jobs and maybe they have to move or do something, um, you know, it's one thing for schools to say, hey, we're just going to reach out to all of our students and call them. But, you know, I had one principal tell me so many of our students' households change their phone number all the time or their phone gets disconnected. It's just a, it's just a very difficult thing. And she said, but that's the most important thing is we can reach out to them and let us let them know that we're here for them and that we're that we're in their corner. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that's that's something we're going to see. Um, and it's just going to be kind of an unfortunate consequence of all this. Right. Well, I think this is, you know, I'm, gl I'm glad you're following this because I feel like it's such an important story. And I, you know, there's just gonna be so many consequences and so many angles and so many things to keep track of. So, well, we're doing our best, Cassie. We're trying to trying to stay stay on top. Right. Of it. No, I meant that in a positive, yeah, no, in a positive yeah. way. But I yeah. just I think I'm just glad 
someone's keeping a close eye on what's going on there. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, do you have a positive thing to share? We kind of sporadically do this, I guess, to end our end our conversations. Do you have anything, a positive moment from today? Yeah. So, you know, we were kind of talking about earlier how we're trying to make Saturdays feel like Saturdays and weekends feel like weekends. So the main thing I'm doing this weekend, you know, in between uh, working probably is I'm having a Harry Potter movie marathon. Really? And I wow. finished this one today. So my goal is I don't want to say I'm 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 not going to get through them all this weekend, but you say that. You, you, yeah, I know I say you that. Yourself. And if I do get through them, I'm not going to tell you. But <laughs> I'm aiming for maybe first three. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, plenty of things to watch. I might been watch some of Ozark season three. I'm not sure if you're yeah familiar with that series, but just came out yeah. today on Netflix. Um, I think my positive moment today. I went to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I kind of psyched myself up for it and. A pleasant surprise. There was food on the shelves. Okay. The the meat section was fairly well stocked. I there was only a, I mean multiple registers were open, but I only had to wait like two minutes. It was kind of a sense of normalcy. I yeah. was I was shocked to see it, it, except for the fact that half the people were wearing masks and mm-hmm. people were wiping down everything, and I was getting hand sanitizer in every aisle. So other than that, it, it felt like kind of a normal a normal exercise. And I think right now normalcy is worth being a positive moment of the day. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, I actually went to the grocery store. I went right after, you know, how they're opening the stores up an hour earlier for, you know, more at-risk populations. I went right yeah. after that. So... It was pretty. It was a pretty positive experience, kind of like what you had. Good. Yeah. No, that's uh, it's good to remember how how life used to be and, and may one day be again. So, well, uh, Cassie, thanks for your time. I hope you enjoy your weekend. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben. Have a good one. All right. You too. Thanks, Cassie. Bye.